Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Fall is here, at least for the day. I don't know what the rest of the week's going to look like. But, uh, it's a nice, crisp morning. Feels like fall. And I was thinking about this, this earlier this morning. I was beginning to wonder if we'd get through summer. And, uh, boy, that went in a flash. So uh, here we are. Would you stand with me as uh, we hear God's Word spoken from John 14 this morning and remain standing as uh, we recite the Apostles' Creed together. Hear now the Word of God. This is from chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'll read verse 7 as well. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know Him and have seen Him. Recite with me the Apostles' Creed. I ask you this morning, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we begin, uh, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you and praise you for this absolutely beautiful morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have once again to come in such a unique way here on the Olson Farm and, and worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for all who are here today, mindful of those who are gone from us as Sierra and her dad traveled to Ohio this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray continuously for uh, their safe travel and for their safe return. But in the meantime, Lord, we pray that the doctors who will be working on Sierra will do um, a fantastic job, that they will take care of the problems that she has and will be able, she'll be able to come home and, and, and be complete in her eyes once again. Uh, she'll always be complete in our eyes, Lord. She's such a sweet spirit. But we know that she experiences frustrations with um, the situation that she has. And we just pray, if you would, continue to be with her in these days ahead. And may we, when she returns, be an encouragement to her as well. Bless us now with your word. Uh, may your spirit be with us this day as we hear your word. Uh, may this word be cast out as seed upon fertile soil. May it sink in, may it grow, 
and uh, may it be spread to others throughout our area. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is another one of those statements in the Apostles' Creed that kind of allows a number of different passages of Scripture to be used as an opening statement from which to focus or which to spring our thinking, I believe. However, there are other passages of Scripture to, that tend to lean in one direction or another in terms of this statement, from thence he shall come, as a promise that we can rest assured on. From thence he shall come again. Promises of great things ahead. Or it is, I'll stop short of calling it a threat, but it could be considered a threat, at, at the very least, a strong promise that indeed He is coming back. From thence He shall come again to the effect of, oh, you better look out. He's coming. Ain't nothing going to stop Him. Not what I would call a positive promise, though a promise just the same. So some of the Scripture that we're going to use today will be promises of great hope for the believer. Others will be promises of things to be dreaded. But the important thing is, as long as there's a breath in us, these are things that could be avoided. To be reminded that we have a loving God, but also to be reminded that we have a just God. With that being said, I'm going to make an understatement here. There's probably more speculation about Christ returning to earth than arguably anything else in the Scriptures. How? Why? And maybe most importantly for most everybody, when? I've done several Bible studies on the book of Revelation, and I've used as many as ten different commentaries, ranging anywhere from the liberal Roman Catholic view all the way to the most fundamental of Baptist views. I've used several commentaries for every time that I prepared this study so it never would be the same thing twice. It would always be a unique approach in some form or another. When I did this down in Frostproof, Florida, a community of about 2,500 people, uh, we'd invite the entire community to come and be a part of the class. We'd start with as many as 30 or, or maybe a few more each time that we started the class. But by the time we got to chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, singular, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we'd be down to seven or eight faithful class members. You see, most people that came to the class thought we'd talk, be talking about the clues of Jesus' return. And I was to be nothing more than Sherlock Holmes to lead them to these clues. Not the case at all how we could get inside information, as a lot of them thought, so that we'd all be ready while the rest of the world languished in there being lost. Or maybe even better for some of the members of the class, the rest of the world remained clueless so that they would know things that other people didn't. And they could go around with this smug look like, I know something you don't. I know when Jesus is coming back and you don't. Not the case. Each week, though, we would end up with the same two thoughts every Sunday or Thursday when we did the class. We do not know when He is coming back. That's number one. 
Number two, we do need to be ready. But there's so many people who, who doubt his return. Or, or so many want his return for totally selfish reasons. And for me, that's hard to understand. To keep some neighbor from going to heaven to be shown how right they've been all along. Just pick a reason why people would not tell others of the one most important thing that I think we have in this world. He is going to return. If you look back to the Scriptures, Paul kept telling folks to be ready. Christ's return was imminent. And he believed that, he, that Christ was going to return in his lifetime. Even Jesus in Mark 1.15, he preached early on to repent for the kingdom was at hand. However, as it was in my classes, when Jesus would tell the disciples and other followers and hangers on in, in Matthew 24, 36, for instance, and on that, that no one knew the day or the hour, and that included the angels in heaven, and then horror of horrors, even the Son didn't know when that time would be, I'm sure it put a lot of people off. If He didn't even know when it was going to happen, how... How would anybody else know? Who would care? Paul, in his letters, though, kept preaching it. The disciples of Jesus' day kept it in their minds, and they continued to preach it. If you look in the Scriptures, there is more written in the Old Testament about Christ coming back a second time than coming the first time. Jesus spoke of His coming in one statistic that I read 21 different times. He admonishes us to be ready for His return 50 times. The problem was at that time all that all the stories of Jesus, all the teaching and the preaching that was done early on was all oral. It was all spoken. Nothing was being written down. And it came to a point where these guys were getting up in age or being martyred. So those who had, had seen Jesus had been a part of his early ministry and, and all. Those who knew the true stories of Jesus, they were becoming fewer and fewer upon the earth. Plus, stories of Jesus were beginning to become somewhat skewed. Stories of the legendary Jesus, for lack of a better way of being able to call him, instead of the truthful Jesus, were being spread to keep up with other pagan religious icons. It's kind of keeping up with the Joneses, if you and things were beginning to get a little bit out of hand with what was being stated about Jesus. Somebody finally got the bright idea, we better start writing this stuff down or we're going to lose the momentum that we had of people coming to the real Christ, the truthful Christ. And so they began to write. Look at the dates of when the Gospels were written. Mark was the first Gospel. And that was written in 60 to 65 A.D., which was roughly 30 or 32 years, depending how you look at it, after Jesus had died, after He had left this earth. Of course, Paul's letters were written sooner, but those letters, as we said, caused the disciples to start thinking they'd better do something pretty quick, putting pen to paper, and start getting the truth out about Jesus rather than fiction, rather than a legendary Jesus, as I said earlier. But they hadn't done it previously simply because they kept thinking that Christ was going to return in their lifetimes. Many of them used to go around looking up in the skies, just waiting. But that was as far as it went. 
So here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're still preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it's a promise that's been made to us. And we can see in the scriptures in many places, God does not break his promises to us, does he? So let's look a little deeper into these words. And from thence he shall come. Jesus in John 14 had just knocked the disciples for a loop. In John 13, 33, he told them he was going to be there, but he was only going to be there for a short time longer. This probably would have unsettled the disciples at the very least. Though they had heard similar words like this, look throughout the Gospels how many times Jesus had told them that of, of this coming event. Even told them that he was going to be crucified and that he was going to return from the dead. But they never seemed to quite pick up on that part of it. I think they just heard that he was going to die and that was going to be that. You see, they, they felt confident as long as their Lord and Master was around them. These guys had given up everything that they had, essentially, to follow Jesus. What would they do on their own without Him? How would they survive? How would they be able to keep the name of Jesus Christ alive? Was He going to abandon them? Was He just going to walk away from them and, and leave like they never existed? Well, at that moment, in John 13, 3, they probably all felt alone, maybe even lost, but I can dare say totally unprepared. But in our reading this morning then, Jesus gives them words of great comfort. Many people today may have that same feeling. They may feel alone. They may feel like they have no direction in life, that they're lost. And without Christ in their lives, that is indeed what they are, lost. We say this so often, but the, the disciples, though they had been with Jesus for three years, really still didn't have a, a real good clue as to what Jesus was all about. Look at the number of times He had done miracles. And they would look at Him as if seeing this all again for the very first time. Maybe they had an inkling of an idea from time to time of who He was, but they just weren't able to put Jesus and them and their position with Him all together. Not until the Holy Spirit would come to them not too far after Jesus was raised or ascended into heaven. Yet if you look at the words that Jesus tells them in John 14, they're still at a loss. They still feel like they're being abandoned. Look at what he tells them in verses 1 through 3. Don't worry about things. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I'm going to build you a place to live with me. And when I do, I'm going to come back for you. I'm sure he must have still been able to sense their confusion because he asked them, Do you think I'd tell you this if it wasn't true? I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you can be as well. These had to be comforting words to them. He's going to come back and take us with him. All right. But then more words to confuse them. Verse 4, you know the way to where I am going. Wait a minute, what? We know the way where you're going? We have no idea where you're going, Jesus. How can we know that? Then the classic verse in John, one of them anyway, is John 14, 6. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He reiterates to them in verses 7 and 9, after they tell them they have no idea where He is going, He tells them that if you really knew me, you would know God my Father as well. The thing is, guys, you do know Him. And you've seen Him already. Now, they're freaking out. We've seen God? Really? When did that happen? And nobody even told us. Philip tries to be the understanding one here. And he says, Lord, if you'll simply show us the Father, that's enough for us. That'll be just fine. We'll be okay. Then Jesus tells them, after all this time I've been with you, Philip, and you don't know who I am, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Well, Jesus goes on to promise that they would not be alone at all as the Holy Spirit would come to them uh, evidently soon after Jesus left, as we said a minute ago. But that's another story for another day. You see, these words to open the eyes of the disciples are words that we can take to heart today. Jesus has been here and is going to come back just as He promised the disciples. Us, in other words, because those words are meant for us today as well in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 14. And for those who come to know Jesus as Savior, they can relish in these words that He is indeed going to return. Even if we don't totally comprehend it all, the Spirit will help explain it to us all as we learn and as we grow in the Spirit. Look at another promise that comes to His followers that that branches off from this statement, from thence He shall come. We'll have every pain removed from us. We'll have an eternal body that will never grow old. You young folks, you've got no idea what I'm about to say. But the very first move you make in the morning to put one leg off the bed and try to get up, you know right then you ain't as young as you used to be. That, 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 and, and that's the sort of thing, though, that as you get older, those things continue to happen. And, and you look at those around us who, who have difficulties, even younger than us, older than us, all of this. None of that is going to happen. That's all going to be gone. And this is one of those things that's been promised to us in this one single statement, and from thence He shall come. Every pain will be removed from us. We will have an eternal body that will never grow old. There will be pure joy in heaven. Revelation 21 tells us He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Matthew 16, 27 tells us the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels and then He will reward each person according to what He's done. And we see in Revelation 22, 12 through 21. Jesus says He will be returning soon. Verse 20 even, He says it again. You think He means it? These are words to give us hope in a world that is going totally haywire. And that is as of 11 o'clock on October the 4th, 2020. John, if you look at his life as he wrote these words, had been exiled on the island of Patmos for years. But do you think that that did not help his faith by the words that were given to him? Do you think that did not give him hope in a life down the road? 
Of course it did. Don't you think He needed to hear those words? Don't you think we need to hear these words? Jesus is going to fix this mess that we live in when He comes. He's going to make it all okay when He gets here. The invitation to all who hear these words, from thence He shall come, have the opportunity to respond to them, to come and be a part of that hope that Jesus has given us. And I ask you, who would not want that? Revelation twenty-two seventeen says that the Spirit and bride say, Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come and receive. That's what these words tell us. Don't delay. Because we don't know when He is going to return. Jesus has waited for some time so that the lost, His lost sheep, will hear and come to Him. If you read Luke 15, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son, that's what He's talking about. Coming to Him. He's waiting for you. From thence He shall come. 2 Thessalonians. Read this when you get an opportunity. 2 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. For more encouragement... Many, however, will simply choose to not believe. But that's nothing new. If you look at 2 Peter 3, verse 4, here, here is, this was said 2,000 years ago. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Yet go down to verses 8 through 10 of this same 2 Peter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is that firm assurance that it ain't going to be pretty for everybody. But don't you see? Don't you see? It doesn't have to be that way. You, get, you see, while we can view these words and hear the promises God's given to us, and we gain hope from them, Many who have lived and who are living even today can view these words as promises to be fulfilled. When? Well, as we've read, we, we really don't know. But the question has to be asked, why wait? Why put yourself in, the, in that kind of eternal danger if Christ isn't your Savior? The thing is, everyone will be witness to His return won't be on Facebook or on the Internet to be argued and bannered about like we do with today's politics. Oh, yeah, today's politics, that's going to be a thing of the past too. May I hear an amen? Amen. As John said in Revelation twenty-two twenty, Come, Lord Jesus, come. If for no other reason than to save us from ourselves, please come. 
But do you know why we should be believing that from thence He shall come? Look at verses 7 and 8 of Revelation 1. Behold, He is coming from the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. And to underscore what was just said, to give this validity, to verification, this is almost like a signature to this letter in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now boy, if I ain't a signature, I ain't seen one. If that is not enough reason to believe that He is coming back, check your pulse. And when He comes back, it'll be a time of great joy. Or... It'll be a time of great wailing. Be ready, brothers and sisters. Be ready. From thence He shall come. For you all here this morning or who might listen uh, or, or right now or who might be listening to this in the next few days, I like to end a lot of my sermons with saying it's the good news of the gospel living its peace this day. But maybe for some of you who hear this this morning, maybe I should say it's the stark reality of the gospel. Live in its truth and in its fear this day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Harsh words that we have to hear, but we know you're a loving God and we know you're a just God. But we need to hear these words, Lord. Oh, how we need them. We need you. And yet there are so many that don't see this. The fields are ripe for harvest. You told us this many, many years ago. And I think that still remains today. The sickle has just not taken them down yet. Help us, Lord. Help us to prepare others around us. Those we love. Those maybe we just barely know. Maybe some that we don't even know. Help us to tell them of the good news, this free gift of eternal life. It's meant for all of us, but few, few will accept it. But would you bless us with a, a, a yearning, a desire to go out and teach and preach to the world as you've commanded us to do. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.